Okay, wait a second. Hold on. Computer crashed. Oh, <laughs> Just no. decided to update immediately. I lied to you. Hold a second. Facebook did this thing where they wanted to reconfirm my account. It's really fun for you guys. Hold a second. Oh, <laughs> We're having a great it's time. So we, are, we are good. Everybody, Facebook isn't making me refer confirm my account. So hold on a second. That's okay. Y'all good? Oh, I think he's talking, he's talking to live. the actual people. Oh, the, the, the actual, actual people. Wait, we're just supposed to be. We're not really here. Yeah, we're, it's all we're illusion. illusion. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of cords. <laughs> Some rhythm changes. Okay, so we had to reconnect our main account with we advertised this episode on so we are now on the air with the early sorry about that little glitch but you know security protocols are out there now but this is fam electric ghost and we are live on our facebook youtube and twitch channels with the early and um we're happy to have you guys on the show thanks so Hello. much for having us thank you Hi. thank you <laughs> now you guys have a brand new video which we're going to queue up here called uh, jasmine it's your official music video and we're going to actually get into that video and show the audience, uh, you know, this this example of what you guys sound like and look like. So this is what we're going to do. We'll put you on mute and then we'll come back and talk about your band and your process and everything like that, kind of like a behind the music episode. But thank you very much. And we're going to get into this right now. Cool. Thank Sounds you. good. Yeah. Thank you. different place we travel along along the path i take before you're gone we'll see what we can make because i got to find my way when i'm going through this crazy life and there ain't no better day the one where i can hold you tight 
this could happen Jasmine, there was a time Before I knew your voice, before your love I didn't have a choice, you gave me love You gave me so much more, you gave me all That I was looking for Cause I got to find my way When I'm going through this crazy life And there ain't no better day The one where I can hold you tight Jasmine You could imagine How this could happen Jasmine Jasmine You could imagine Jasmine video and now we're back so we should have you guys back on the mic hello hello yeah, yeah, yeah we did that right so we did it right that's good so yeah that's a really cool um band video we get the whole band you know um playing together and acting together and so like who actually came up with um the storyboard and the script for that this one <laughs> that's me baby yeah so um I don't, I wrote and uh, storyboarded it and directed it and um, yeah, edited it with our videographer. His name is Max, you know, shameless plug to Max. He is absolutely <laughs> amazing. Yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. He's super easy to work with, very professional. And um, yeah, we had, a, we had a great time. We shot it all in one day, um, edited it all the next and it was just, it was out there. So, so have you done that kind of thing before? Uh, no, <laughs> definitely not to this extent. Yeah, no, not, not this, uh, not this, uh, this much, but. So is that song representative of, of the sound, um, for your whole project? Yeah. Do you have like an EP and an album, full album? Yes. Yeah. I would say we felt this was the best, like first single from the album. Um, very much so a summertime vibe. Uh, we kind of wanted to capture it in a way that was kind of also hilarious, um, in the video with our extravagant shirts and different patterns and just trying to look at different era. And mm -hmm. uh, we really want to, I guess that's what we want to instill is like throughout this album, you're going to hear something not of this time uh, period. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time still has a pop feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It still has like, a, like I'm a child of the seventies, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, and I think I was talking to you about the carpenters and the band that yeah. sounded like the yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big you know I, I grew up with like all that '70s singer songwriter stuff, nice. and you know being a synthesis, I I, I you know I was following Stevie Wonder, uh, you know Funkadelic, uh, Pink Floyd, uh, you know all the all the Keith Emerson, Pete Townsend, like anybody that was into synths, I was yeah. like I was, that's what I I try to do is try to bring that progressive like yes is my big 
like you know they're my idols <laughs> you know yeah. Genesis like the Peter Gabriel Genesis that's kind of where my head's at so hearing that kind of funky sound that's like a 70s familiar sound that, that's pretty cool that you guys are doing that yeah Thanks. you would uh you would love to know that song started on a piano I mean that's where I based the song from um mm -hmm. from there Alyssa really built a lot on it um we'll get more into how that process happened as we talk about you know recording this during quarantine and such but yeah yeah so i like to always ask a band uh my horror core course out um questions that i ask because kind of get into the, the whole whole idea of this um episode is i get into this like behind the music type of thing so when did you guys first get into music who wants to answer like who, what age did you guys first start getting into music maybe all of you around the same age but each one of you can kind of talk about that sure you want me to go you sure go from yeah. this side to that side Ooh, yeah. yeah however you want to do it okay, <laughs> okay so um i have you know basically been doing music my whole life i like popped out of the womb riffing <laughs> popped out and i was just like hey bitch i'm here hello um i started uh vocal lessons when i was six because i grew up you know wanting to be mariah carey basically and my mom was like you're gonna blow your your throat out sweetie like we gotta get you some some help so started vocal lessons there and um i've been playing keys for about i would say 12 13 years now and so yeah kept going with lessons um was in choirs you know that whole shebang had a progressive metal band in high school nothing happened with that obviously so here i am yeah i, I started playing guitar when I was 14, I think. I think one of my first influences was probably Aerosmith. And then from there, it went into like more 90s, like Green Day and Nirvana, then kind of went through the whole pop punk phase in high school. And then towards college more, I kind of got more into folk and folk rock. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I just try to listen to as much as I can, as many different things as I can kind of educate myself musically. Yeah, and so I started drums kind of when I was like, uh, probably like maybe as early as like 10 or 11 or something like that. Didn't take it too seriously. Uh, but then I saw the Beatles movie Help and I instantly wow. was like, okay, I want to do this now. So. Did you want to be a drummer because of Ringo or by, uh, because of somebody else? It was, I think, honestly, it was, I think it was, it goes back to uh, when MTV had music videos on TV. Okay. I saw, yeah, yeah. I saw the band uh, Jet playing, Are You Gonna Be My Girl? And the drummer looked awesome in that. So wow. I think that's what made me want to play drums. But then Ringo was the one that made me want to stick with it, I think. So playing Beatles records and all those other kind of <laughs> 70s records nonstop. And then it's so was... interesting that the Beatles are even today are still yeah. inspiring <laughs> yeah. so many yeah, bands. Very much so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I come from a musical background. My mother, or I'm sorry, my grandmother was a uh, classical piano player, also played in the church um, on organ. Uh, my father is uh, basically my first guitar teacher, um, one I had for most of my life before I moved off to college. Um, I teach guitar. Uh, my first instrument, though, is piano, much more visual for me, a lot easier for me to pick up quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would say I've been studying that for about 15, 16 years, but guitar, 12. Um, other than that, I like to dabble with bass as well, um, as well as Colin. Um, other than that, I, I would play in the Laporte orchestra, uh, just session. I, my, probably my biggest claim was, uh, playing for Wayne Newton. Um, mm -hmm. so we all, we all kind of do work outside of the band studio work and, yeah. um, but that's kind of where it got me to this band. I started mainly in the church performing and having a live setting is just the ideal thing for a musician that wants to really spread out, you know, their talents. So. Yeah. It's how you learn, you know, yeah. jamming. I, I do a lot of jamming with musicians just because, you know, I don't really care if I get paid. I just like to play. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. a keyboard player. So I was like, okay, you need a keyboard player. And you know, <laughs> you know, I, I like to do my own thing as you can see, but I, I will go and fit in and do what, you know, you traditionally do, but um, as a keyboard player, you know, not being the lead, 
you know, you're kind of part of a group, kind of like a drummer is like always part of a group, you know, keyboard yeah. players, the same thing. Um, so let me get into the next set is, um, so you all been working on music. So maybe like the question I get, I get into that's a little bit more than that is like, when did you realize you had a talent for music and then want to write your own music? Because people will go and, you know, become studio musicians or play like in orchestras or, or do like cover bands. But it's like a singer songwriter's mentality. What makes you want to take your own material and do your own thing? And each one of you can maybe tell that story. I go yeah. Well, I guess I knew I had talent, if you can call it that, when I was able to play my first song on electric. I think it was know your enemy by green day so i could copy that and play that and then as i started doing like more aerosmith and black sabbath i realized that okay these songs have a lot of the same chords and then i can kind of listen to those chords and figure out how they're used in other songs so that's i guess that's when i knew i had a knack for it at least it was something i could pick up as far as as far as writing music i I guess it was just something I wanted to see just to see if I could do it. And that, that wasn't too long after I uh, picked up acoustic first. And then I just kind of, I, I played this same rhythm on the guitar, which now that I look back was just D and G. And then I wrote <laughs> these lyrics to it. So uh, it's corny. It's called, don't you know that she's the one? Which, <laughs> again, so that's as cringy as it sounds. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I knew I had a, that's how I know, okay, so I'm, I'm at least able to write songs. Now the tricks to just try and get good at it. It's just kind of like, for me, it's like riding a bike. You just keep writing and writing, and eventually you kind of get a knack of how to structure songs and how melodies and chord progressions work, and you just try to link it all up to stuff that sounds good. Fran, I want to hear this. Oh, no. <laughs> Fran, I want to hear this. I don't, we all have written songs for this album. I know, because yeah. I'm sitting here like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, well, I think as a, as a drummer, I think it was once I started playing with other people, and mm -hmm. I realized, you know, like I that's what I want to do all the time, just be playing with other people and and, and not sucking. Was <laughs> that hard? To, actually, hard to... <laughs> yeah, actually, actually grooving together and being in a pocket like that. That I think is when I kind of realized it was kind of working. And was it hard to get your parents to accept you being a drummer? Because I know drummers always have to say, well, my parents have to really have oh, patience well, with me. Well, that's the funny thing. Like, my, my parents were, like, the best, I think, because they were just, like, even, like, they didn't care. They were just like, yeah, keep hitting the drums. So yeah, I know because some parents, like, we, we, when we – I had, you know, my brother was a guitar player and I'm a keyboard player. But every time we brought the drummer over, <laughs> I, could, I could see my mom and dad frowning. Yeah. And they're like – it was bad enough for you guys playing the keyboard and the guitar, and now this drummer's coming in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe <laughs> a thousand times. Yeah, they, we'd be a limitation. <laughs> you guys can only do two, four hours, and that's it. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's it. Once you know, the sun but, goes down, you guys are done. You guys are done. <laughs> nine nine o'clock, you're done. You're done. Yeah, <laughs> there's a cutoff time there. Yeah. Um. I don't care. I mean, you, you can go if you want to. I guess, what were, you, what were you saying, though? How did you get to the writing process? You know? Oh, yeah, well, I don't know. I always liked writing. I mean, especially, like I was saying, I was really into Beatles, so Lennon-McCartney, that's a powerhouse. Um, but I think, it, you know, Lennon-McCartney leads to to Dylan, and that leads to, yeah. you know, others like Croce and Jackson Brown and all those people. So I think just listening to them a lot and then, mm -hmm. like, within the past couple of years, and getting really into John Prine and all that kind of stuff, so... I think mm -hmm. just being you know, listening to that all the time just makes you want to write your own stuff, you know. So that's think, interesting. Yeah, so I think, mm -hmm. I think honestly, that's the songwriting thing. You're like Taylor Goldsmith and stuff like that, just kind of wanting to to find your own voice and that kind of stuff. So when well, you mentioned Dylan, I think when I was a kid, that kind of got me really into it was listening to the Basement tapes for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I listened to like Dylan in the band, right? And then I had a yeah. buddy that actually had the bootleg of the original basement tapes that weren't cleaned up. Wow. Right? And then I like, that's what I like. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I like the actual ones that weren't cleaned up by Robbie. Yeah. And I like these raw basement tapes were like, that's the got this kind of Americana wow. punk yeah. aesthetic. It's got this like folk thing with like, like rock thing. And I'm like, 
And it's got this like Dylan's crazy ability to write these songs kind of off the cuff out of the ether. Yeah. yeah. They're so developed. I'm like, man, and he's just kind of tossing them out. And I'm like, wow. And yeah. like, <laughs> that, that, that gives you something to try to reach for. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, I remember yeah. watching Dylan, uh, the not in person, but the you can find it on YouTube when he does Mr. Tambourine Man at the Newport Folk Festival. Oh, yeah. And, and I just, there was something about that. You just, you have the guitar, which is the rhythm, and then you got lyrics, and then you've got the harmonica, which can do some kind of lead melody. And I yeah. just, I just remember thinking, okay, so that's the minimum stuff of what you need to make a song. And then with a band, you build off of that. So I, I, that's kind of etched into my brain when it comes to writing songs. I kind of need those three things in order for it to work. <laughs> so who, wants to go to ne- who wants to go next? <laughs> uh, I don't think I ever really wrote lyrics to my first song until I was in college and it was after I was studying aural skills. Um, mm. I always found it quite, quite much to be a challenge to play some of the stuff I would do. Cause I was so advanced with guitar by the time I wanted to start singing. It was like, okay, if I want to play over or sing over something hard, it might as well be something I'm comfortable with doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, first song I wrote, uh, the band picked up and that's how I, join this band um it was called tread around and i always focus hard on the chorus section as long as i got a good hook i can build off of that yeah um, it's kind of like the old like motown method like exactly. if, you, if you get into like the funk brothers and, the, and everybody's like do you have a groove or do you not have a groove right? exactly yeah. so it's like it's like you get into like you know the old soul guys is like yeah it's, it's got a groove or it doesn't have a groove it's got a drummer yeah. the drummer's got it or he doesn't have it you know, <laughs> you know? and then he's like okay if everybody's grooving you put it in the tape because then you drive around town and people start liking it then you know you got it yeah <laughs> that's great i mean the yeah. ultimate goal for my writing was that i wanted it in front of people just to see how it was it's a stress it's a stressful moment the first time you take a new song out yeah. But like the worst they can do is not like it. And then you learn just as much, if not more, than when they do appreciate and like it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I like to like just go in front of audiences, which is harder today exactly. because exactly. of COVID. But I kind of created this platform where, you know, you, I go out live for my studio like all the time because I will actually, one of my techniques is I actually will do stream of consciousness rehearsals. And then just, you know, do like an hour worth of recording. Cause I kind of read about Frank Zappa, right? And Zappa yeah. used to go out and just bring his reel to reels and tape everything he did. Yeah. And then he would go back and listen to it and then grab pieces from different projects and then put songs together. And I said, well, you know, that's a good way of doing it. Cause then you just kind of force yourself not to have to stop. Yeah. Right? Really. You keep on stopping and starting. But if you just say, hey, I'm going to go live and just let it be. Yeah, yeah, and, and then then you can the magic just somehow happens because you know you can't because you're live, you don't want to keep on stopping and starting, so you just do it. No, for real. <laughs> um, through the process of writing, uh, we were constantly using the more modern technology of voice memos on you know, like an iPhone 12. Yeah. But we would yeah. we would listen back, and there's things that we'll recreate on the stuff we want to record, and it's almost like we're leaning on what we wished we could pull off every time that like first time we recorded something. It's yeah, so weird right. how it happens so naturally mm-hmm. that it's almost like you want to recreate that after the fact, you know? But some people even use the original voice memo if they can't recreate it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because sometimes yeah. it's like you get to the studio. One thing I found as a, as a recording producer is like, sometimes like if I do uh, something with like, work with another artist, right? Yeah. And we do something like 20 times. If we go back to the first three times, Usually the first three times is better than the last. Like, oh, a hundred percent. And oh, I yeah. tend, I tend to be the kind of guy who's like, I'm gonna go with like the second or third or even first take. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I think that the, what happens is the artist tends to start, you know, rewriting and yeah. taking the honesty out, and then I'll challenge them and say, you were really honest with the first version, and now you're you're backing away from it. Exactly. And I'm like, I rather, yeah. yeah, go with go with the first intention. <laughs> exactly, yeah. the initial intention. No, that's a great segue to Alyssa. Probably out of anybody recording this album, she probably took the most takes on some of the most difficult parts vocally. Yeah, I um, 
I tend to try and challenge myself vocally because I have been singing for so long. Um, it's not that it gets boring or anything, but it's just that I like to keep pushing myself so that I can learn more and then, you know, be better because of that. Right. So, um, on this album, there were, there were a couple vocal lines, which, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm very particular. So like, there's a, there's a way that I hear it in my head and I want it to be just like that. And I know mm -hmm. that I can do it, but I'm like, I go into the studio ready to do that. And if it's even just like a little smidgen, I'm like, mm, let my daughter die, you know? <laughs> and so, um, during, uh, one of our songs echoes, there's this, uh, this very high belt I have to do. It's an F sharp five and I got to hold it for like a measure. Right. But leading up to that, there's about a minute of buildup. And, um, <laughs> I think I, I, I worked on it probably how long, maybe two hours, maybe yeah, two and a half hours. I think I took a nap during it. Yeah, he did. Trev <laughs> somehow napped yeah. on the couch while I was like, Belted, it was belted, perfect timing. Yeah. Full chest. <laughs> he was just like, Phew. I'm like, okay, bitch, like go off. You know? But um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, our producer had me just doing it a bunch of times. I think I did it 13 or 14 times. And then he was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pick the best one. And I was like, I want to hear them all. And like, I'm going to sit with you. Wasn't it like one of the first three takes? It was the first the one. First take. Yeah. The first take yeah. that I did. I was That's like, hey, now I got to be on vocal rest for like a week. <laughs> and I didn't even have to do it. Like, why am I like this? You know? Well, you never know. I think like Hendrix was famous for that. Like I have all these Hendrix outtakes, right? Sure. Yeah. Multiple versions of, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like voodoo child and and yeah. like to, so many great solos and like which one do you pick right exactly and i'm listening to all the the demos and it's weird like the one he picked is like it's so iconic it's like okay how could you ever pick anything else but there, there were other ones that were just as good and it's like it's like a choice and he's like he had and the thing is like you know his producers and stuff used to tell him like you know he was so good that you could just pick any of them and 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 then you'd, you'd have to go back and say, well, this one had something about it. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and and then they would they would kind of make the choice. But it's it's interesting that you know, with live bands like a, with a band that's actually playing instruments, compared to like a lot of people today that are totally on the grid. Yeah, um, yeah. That I'm kind of a uh, when they get into that, we'll get into the kind of recording technology, but sure. One of the things that like, I used to, I used to use DAWs and then I like, you know, I, I'm into analog and modular stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped using DAWs because I'm like, because I like just capturing my analog the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I started just going into like raw hardware recording. And, and I know that a lot of people, the way well, you're making it harder on yourself and say, like, well, I kind of want it to sound like the way I'm going to play it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, Absolutely. I was caught more human. You know, yeah. so I can actually learn the song. So when I when I when I get out there, I actually know the song. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, I didn't just go. I didn't just cut and paste it around the grid, and now I have to go and relearn it because I don't really know what I did anymore. Right. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting. How I mean, the technology is really cool, and like if you're in different genres like EDM and hip hop, yeah, yep. it's, it's like it's necessary for those guys to do it that way, and they maybe aren't like instrument musicians yeah more production type musicians there's nothing right wrong with them they're guys like from dale soul and public enemy they sure. did amazing stuff yes. and even today you have guys you know like earl sweatshirt and the tyler creator they do some really cool things oh i love earl sweatshirt yeah there's some really yeah. so i mean everybody has different techniques you just make a choice of what you want to do and maybe you have a hybrid yeah, like a, yeah. a little bit of both that's where we're sitting right now. It's like a happy medium where uh, live instruments are accepted, but also like it's welcome to have electronics to kind of either embellish it or just keep it like modern, I guess. Modern. <laughs> well, if you want to introduce a big like orchestra and yeah. add strings and add all these backing tracks and add things that actually really sound like horns, yeah, but the only problem I think with some bands is that they get those backing tracks too intense. Yep. Yeah. And when they go to play, they're kind of trapped by their backing tracks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be buried. You don't want to be so trapped by your backing tracks that you only can play your song as you recorded it. And then it takes all the fun out of it. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Because I'm kind of a guy that I used to go see the dead and Funkadelic and the Allman Brothers. 
And Ooh, I like oh, the fact oh, yeah. I could go see them three days in a row and they would play Melissa a little bit different every day. Oh, right. I don't doubt that. You know, and it wasn't the same because Greg just felt like doing something different on a Hammond B3 and he'd do it different. Yeah. Right. We'd add add a set of lyrics that weren't weren't there the night before. And I'm like, right. you know, and Dylan was famous for that. I mean, there's multiple versions of Idiot Wind. There's multiple <laughs> versions. There's multiple versions of Tangled Up in Blue. And I actually saw Dylan one time in the 70s, and I saw him two nights in a row, and he ran two versions of Tangled Up in Blue with different characters. Wow. The songs have different characters. They have different sets of lyrics. Wow. And he, one night he did one version, and another night he did the other version. And I'm like, that. I think that was fun for him as a writer because he's like, you know, I'm going to see how people react to this one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, compared to the, the one I did on the record. But that's one thing I think is cool, like that when you when you when you kind of get outside of the door, yeah, you kind of let yourself go and you say, Well, I'm gonna take this song and I'm gonna interpret it based on how I feel tonight. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um Alyssa joining the band, um, we had a bass player that eventually uh departed. We wanted to basically relearn some of our old tunes and it's kind of become that thing where like, okay, how are we feeling tonight? Do we want to kind of do want to do this one soft? Do we want to do this one more, more up? And like, mm-hmm. it is nice to set different tones in a live setting that like, it'd be great to record each and every one of those, but like the experience live is what we're going for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the great thing about like a band with people who are playing you know, instruments <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that, that you have the ability to kind of read the crowd or read yourself. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so if you you get into a situation where you you're like in tune with your audience, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you're feeling like a certain way, then you're gonna carry off a different performance that you know, like it's it's worth actually trying to tape yourself to see like what you what you do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's like you never know how you're gonna perform because I, I mean, I always talk about Hendrix, but I have all this, all these live Hendrix shows, and and depending on how we felt, like, and I have like a bi- the biography of Hendrix, right? And some nights, like, he had like a breakup with one of his girlfriends, and then he went out and did like Red House, and oh. and, and Red House that night had this intensity yeah. that it never had before. <laughs> and then you wonder why it's like, boy, he just broke up with his girlfriend. It's like, okay. yeah. so like you, you kind of feel that. It's like he was able to put that in it, into yeah. the song, you know. And that's kind of, you know, I think every musician puts their heart or what they're feeling. But it's just cool to, you know, know the history of behind certain things. But oh yeah, I just think when you're locked in, you you can't do it as much. Exactly. Yeah. Not yeah. for real. Yeah, because like I think like sometimes we'll just be playing a tune. And then Trevor would just be like, I think I'm going to try this. And we're like, okay, we'll follow you. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to take it this direction. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's cool when you can feel we have a, such a unit that if somebody goes off, it's kind of like in jazz. Like if you listen to jazz, you listen to Coltrane or Sun Ra or Mingus, mm-hmm. and they go off, right? Yeah. And then they come back. And one of the, you know, the drummer decides to do something a little bit different on on the break and then the the, the, the saxophone player is like oh, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna riff something yeah. and he he just pulls something like out of a show tune <laughs> and then pulls that line in just because yeah. he felt yeah. like doing it and then everybody kind of runs with it you know and then you're like okay i would that's- say that's that makes almost like as equal fun for the bandit as it is the audience is when at this at some point in the show you're like i'm gonna start having a conversation with one of the members of the band you know like yeah, uh, they someone takes a solo. It's fun to like sneak in parts. I I would say that's something even like Chick Corea would do. Where you yeah, would, yeah, you hear someone solo, and he would perfectly either end their line for them on piano, <laughs> or he'd say something. It would be like a yeah, like a like a call and response. Basically. Yeah, no, yeah, the call and response is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's like a very traditional thing. Like in jazz, you see that a lot of that call and response. Yeah, or just the being able to bring in other tunes. And it's kind of randomly like it's like like the way people sample today, jazz bands would say, Okay, I'm gonna bring this in. Yep. Yeah. And they, they would just play it and it's bring it in. And it's like, okay. Um, and I just think it's like it's really how they felt. Like, okay, how's that guy feel tonight? He felt like doing that. And he did, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and um 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think music's got a lot of feel and a lot of emotion and anything that lets you express that, whether it's high tech stuff or old school stuff, however you do it, it's just a way to express yourself in the, in the most, uh, you know, immediate way to get that connection from what's in your, you know, like your muse. I think a lot of musicians, like people are like, like the question I always ask when you write, like, uh, like your writing style, do you kind of like do, do you like really plan out your song or do you feel your song comes to you from like the muse or the, or the ether? And this is, cause some people will say their song kind of came to them like a dream. And it's like a lot of it's there. And then other people, it's like, I had to really work on that. Mm-hmm. Or is it kind of like if every song is different? Well, for me, it's, uh, I guess it depends. But for me, it's uh, inspiration versus motivation. You know, mm-hmm. if something inspires me to write a song, <laughs> then it's, okay, let's record this on a phone or get it down so I can at least remember it. And then I just kind of, and I just kind of build off it from there. And uh, as far as as far as with the band, if I write a song, I think, okay, this might be good for the band. I try to make sure I have the gist of the song down before I bring it to the band, because I don't like bringing half of an idea. But if mm-hmm. I if I have the foundation of a song, I can bring that to the band, and then everyone can add their little flavor and maybe change this up or change that up, and mm-hmm. that turns into songs you hear from us. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Gosh, you know, it's like I said, with starting with choruses and writing in general, I I would say in a sense where we've played the song so many times, we start to mess with it differently. But like probably in the infancy of most tunes, we kind of when we figure it out, we kind of almost want to go for the natural based off of something. That's on my side. If I write something like, OK, I'll write the chorus part. Let's do a verse separate, almost mm-hmm. like so it's it, it stands out that they're different, you know, in some way. Um, Fran's always like, do I just push it straight? Do I do, <laughs> do I push a swing at some points? But like the way we as a band can flow with him helps really change the mood or subtracting parts of, of instruments or something. Um, I think it's always about at the end of the day, what is the, the audience willing to listen to and how long can they bear it? <laughs> that's what kind of like the challenges are always there is this interesting enough or is this always, much yeah. you know, at this time because i always find i'm like i was i was always um interested in like the history of bands right so i'm, I'm looking at like the who mm-hmm. and like yeah. the who like pete townsend would pretty much write everything yep yeah. Yeah. Come, with, come, come with a demo that was pretty much the whole song but yeah. but but like keith moon he can't play like keith moon he can't play like entwistle no and he can't really sing like daltrey so what would happen is those guys would bring their capabilities and they have this intention of what Pete had his intention. Yeah. But then they kind of make the song, they service the song with their skill set. Sure. So when you get Antwistle and Moon kind of just soloing through the whole song, <laughs> giving it this different energy than what Pete had a more steady beat, but then suddenly you get this kind of jazz kind of <laughs> crazy thing going on. And then Braltree taking his pete's like sensitive voice and mm-hmm. belting it out with this like powerful lead singer right mm-hmm. and it changed the whole dynamic and so yes. you, so you get this kind of roadmap, but then the band brought their skill set so everybody the bass player he brings his skill set the drummer brings his skill set the singer you know takes takes the song and and, and gives it the the passion mm-hmm. you know that Dalton gave it compared to Pete's passion, which is a different type of thing. Sometimes people say, well, Pete's songs are actually still good. You know, so some, sometimes you want to hear Pete doing Behind Blue Eyes. Yeah. Because the way he does it. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, Daltrey does it a different way. Um, sure. So it's just interesting, like, when you're in a band, it's like, how do you decide what, what flavor or what direction you're going to go? But I think you try to service the song, the intention of the original yeah. song. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, like I, I, I definitely agree with that, especially with drums. It's like, if you, if you do too much, it's like, <laughs> no one's going to want to listen, you know? Yeah. yeah. One thing as a drummer, you just got to serve the song, you know, it's just, yeah. that's what I think in the writing process. Definitely. I always ask them, you know, am I doing a little too much? Too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
and you know, he'll start thinking real hard about simple choice in portions, even, you know, like, do I hit the ride? Nope. Staying on hats. You know what? <laughs> no hits. That's a big thing that wouldn't Ringo just no crash, no symbol, just straight. Yeah. Through. Ringo was good at keeping that kind of Motown feel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He kind of, I think he was a good student of like listening to Motown oh, yeah. and figuring out how to integrate that into like a power pop band yeah. like the Beatles, right? Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. take that pocket drumming that the guys at Motown could do and do these oh, yeah. three minute, four minute songs. But then they have the Beatle chords and then you've oh, got yeah. the stuff mm. that, 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 you know, they were able to introduce the psychedelic elements. And so oh, then they started to get beyond like just normal songs. They started to, you know, go into progressive yeah. stuff yeah. that became like what the Pink Floyd and what Yes and what Genesis started to do <laughs> after, you know, you get, you know, Abbey Road and you get, you get those albums where they start to actually do more progressive type of construction. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. for real. Yeah, and I'm, I'm 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 probably more of a fan of when they start going that way. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, like I, all my songs are six, seven minutes, so like you know oh, where my head's oh, at. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Oh, it's yeah, great. little progressive elements coming. Through. Yeah, it's like, but the problem today is like I get all these guys are like, "Can you take that down to two minutes?" I'm like, <laughs> no. "It's seven minutes. That's what it is." <laughs> Yeah, but every time I try to distribute with somebody, they take my stuff and they they cut it down to like two minutes. And I'm like, wow. you yeah. guys didn't really listen to it, did you? <laughs> For real, yeah. Yeah. I think I think they remember seeing that they wanted to do that to Hotel California. They were like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they wanted to do that to the Everyone's to like, the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, that was definitely yeah. a Freddie Mercury like image, you know, where you just got to roll with it. They did. Well, he forced it because he went and had it filmed, right? Yeah. So the way they got it through, the history on that is the record label said they were not going to no. release that full song, right? No. They weren't going to do it. And then he went and had it filmed yep. and then sent to TV stations. Wow. And then yeah. when the TV stations ran it, then suddenly radio started getting requested. They played the whole thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh. they, they kind of went around it. It's kind of like what happened with MTV because MTV got stuff like that to happen sure. um because like once you do a video and it goes over three minutes you know and, and you do these longer form things then people are like oh i want to see that i want to hear it and then right. the, yeah. but the radio is always going to try to knock it down yeah. to like under three minutes just because that's what they want to do right <laughs> but yeah, it's I like know. yeah as an artist of what do you, what what's your intention like uh, this is the age of the spotify playlist this is the age of not people not listening to a vinyl album all the way through unless you're an audiophile like me. But, sure, sure. But um, so like, is there a pressure to just put out singles, or but you guys are are doing an album? So that's there's a lot of artists that all they do is like singles and maybe they do an EP, but but that seems like because because the way the market is, they want to put you into these playlists and you got to that that's the that's the game. Um, mm -hmm. so what what are your feelings about that? How do you manage like what you guys want to do with that kind of world? I mean, I guess uh, I guess that just comes down to the writing process. I think we decide, okay, is this does this feel too long? Because there's a difference between a song being long and then feeling too long, and then mm -hmm. a song being short and then just feeling too short. So I think those are the only times we think about whether how the length of it is. Is it it sounds good performed live and stuff like that and then after that then we decide okay this song is the shorter of the bunch maybe this could be a single or something it kind of has a poppy feel to it but that all comes after the songs have been written mm -hmm. yeah well yeah and i think like for you know like doing singles eps and albums like i don't know i just me personally i've always been an album person because i love syncing you know sure you get the the first couple singles but then, you know, I like to dig into the other tracks and then just kind of because then those eventually kind of become your favorite tunes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know, just me personally, I'm just like, I don't know if like, I, I don't know, single and EP. I mean, you put out the singles, but yeah. it's just it, love to have that full album, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's still yeah. a market for that. People wanting to. Yeah, it seems to be coming yeah. back because of COVID not to come, yeah. you know. But people seem to have a little bit more time 
mm-hmm. on their hands because they're home so much or, you know, they're not doing what they were doing before. So, you know, vinyl has a resurgence. Oh, and yeah, so I mean, the, the thing about vinyl is it makes you listen to a whole project. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a child of the seventies, you know, I got Led Zeppelin four yeah. with my brother. We were like, damn. And for the first <laughs> time when we heard this, like, you know, in 74 or something like, or 73, but we were like, what the hell? It's like, we, we just like, we're just vibing on it. And we just kept on flipping it over and listening yeah, like, yeah, all man. the way through. Yeah. And we were like, it's same thing when Pink Floyd, you know, wish you were here or any of those. Is like their design was like you had to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. You couldn't just pick. You wouldn't just take the the style and go jumping around a record. Like you put it on, I mean, and you would be with your friends in the basement and you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's really the ultimate goal is to kind of make an album that feels like a complete project. You know, like of course we're gonna release the singles to like appease the Spotify algorithm to get us on those playlists or like to generate buzz for you know yeah, yeah. the actual album coming out, but. That that's something that we we really worked hard on is trying to make it sound cohesive, like it's a unit. You know, like all the songs bring something different to the table, but they all correlate with one another, and it all sounds like, you know, one project. Or I hope it does when you guys listen to it. But <laughs> so I mean, that's the magic on an album. Because I mean, the whole point is that it is like this cohesive thing, whether it's a concept album like Tommy or Quadrophenia. <laughs> Yeah. A classic album from the seventies didn't wasn't necessarily Tommy, you know. No, it, it yeah. was the fact that you could have, you know, uh, you know, tapestry, or you or you have these like, you know, anything the singer songwriters would put these albums out, and it's not a concept, but the songs go together. Oh, sure, sure. You know, yeah. they, they have a feel. You know, if you go listen to any of the classic Steely Dan albums, oh, you know, they're yes. like, there's no concept, but somehow all the songs work together like there is a concept yeah exactly you know and so they, they have a feel like they go together like you know aja everything feels like it goes together but yeah. they're unique stories but they all fit in that 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 single you know platform where they, they put together as a record um and that's what i love and it's weird it's interesting that like in hip-hop it's very popular to have these like uh, album oriented projects, but yeah. rock, rock seems to have gone away from it. But then I see more bands trying to come back to it. Like I've been talking to bands in the last year, like yourself band more like your band and they are coming back to it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. in, in the indie world where we're, where we are, there's a lot of bands that say, yeah, I mean, I designed this, this is a project. This is an album. It's not just one song. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. For real. Yeah. Um, I think that is kind of the goal with this. Um, this the track listing for this was a lot of fun. Um, trying to think of, I I would think too analytical about it. Like, oh, it's in the same key. Oh, this person's on it. But at the end of it, it's like, yes, they're all very much so different, but they go together very well. And when you listen entirely through this being pressed on vinyl something you know in the future mm-hmm. is is the goal of the audience to listen to the entire thing um, yeah because just because we do we do want to push up quite a few singles for this album the ones that are going to be on it we feel is it's like the ultimate arrival to be to the album um plus when you play like a lot of times when a band goes on tour they play the album yeah, just yeah. as yeah. yeah, you know, because like like if every tour is kind of represents an album. At least from my mom, I'm a t- like a child of the '70s, so I go see, you know, the Allman Brothers is like they're playing like one of their albums, you know, mm-hmm. and they're playing it all the way through, like Eat a Peach. They got to yeah. play the whole yeah. thing yeah. through, yeah. Uh, and you know, or you got to see the see the band, and they're playing, you know, one of their albums all the way through. Oh, you yeah. know, with, with Dylan, you know, yeah. and I'm like, that was like, okay, that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they get that feel. You know, they you get this, this like okay, they're on stage. Like even Bowie, Bowie would come out with his concept, right? So he would go on stage and he's like Aladdin, sane, or yeah. he's like Ziggy, yeah, or, yeah. or he's like a thin white Duke, and so he's gonna be that guy for that whole show, and he's gonna be in that vibe. Yeah, you know, and then Freddie Mercury was do he do the same thing? You know, he'd be oh, able yeah. to kind of have this vibe for the rock record. He'd change his look for the record. Sure. Mm-hmm. On stage, he would be that guy for that record. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? So is that something about, like, when you guys go, are you interested in, like, how you 
how you look to the audience or you're more into like I'm we're just gonna play the music. I would say yeah we put we put ourselves together pretty well. We we make sure we're we we try to capture a vibe, right? Especially, especially yeah. with the artwork. Exactly, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had to dress up for that. But you know that did you know, Alyssa kind of helped me with that. Something <laughs> something as simple as a jean jacket. Just kind of, <laughs> yeah. 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 I liked him my distressed jean jacket. You gotta always create the look for the band, yeah, you know. Yeah. You yeah. think yeah. about yeah. every band's gotta have kind of a look. Yes. That's why you need a girl. I got you on the stylist. You got it. You got the idea. You're the art director, so you know where you want to go. And I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, wow, I've never looked like this before. But he loved it. Yeah, he loved it. Absolutely. But, but yeah, I think clothes, or at least a look does help, at least with a live performance, how you perform, especially if, like if you are going out as some kind of character or something, or, or at least you're going for a vibe, I think a look matters because you make a choice ultimately. However, even if you just go out in jeans and a t-shirt, then that's a choice you're making. And <laughs> Absolutely. You're, just, you're going for that kind of vibe. So it just depends on the Yeah, music. I mean, you're going to look like, are you trying to come out like the Stones did for like Exile on Main Street? Yeah. Or you're trying to do like, you know, this more esoteric thing when they were trying to do like a copy of Sgt. Pepper's. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you, you know, you never know like which way are they trying to present yourself. Um, and, and it's just interesting, you know, because I think there's a lot of cool stuff that like these uh, like EDM guys do. They come out like Dead Mouse. And yeah. even me, you know, as the ghost, they like I, I actually come out like trying to be a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, I do a lot of weird effect things to try to make myself, you know, fit into that idea. But, wow. um, but you know, it's just, it's like, like I said, I'm a child of the 70s and I'm a, a big uh, fan of, of, of bands that tried to present like a theater, you oh, know, yeah, to, to, the, to, the, to the idea like, okay, if you're going to come out and you say you're a ghost, then maybe you should be like a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Play the part. Play, yeah, yeah. Play the part. Yeah. So when you guys get into recording in the studio, do you guys like all work in your own like DAWs or own home studios and come together into a bigger studio and put everything together in your own kind of workflow to maybe talk about like what your workflow process is? It's like home recording, traditional recording, how you put it together and how that was, you know, done during COVID. Well, yeah, well, I think the, the nice or the, with the new album because because we kind of like doing the whole live feel kind of thing so luckily before covid happened we were able to get all the basic tracking done as a live band mm -hmm. so cool. drums four days yeah, so that's cool yeah, that's cool drums drums bass guitar guitar bass guitar and then some keys some overdubs a little bit of keys yeah. i overdubbed most of the keys but yeah because mm -hmm. we wanted to have that natural rhythm section feel yeah but I then everything yeah. yeah, yeah. This is one of the probably more puzzle piece together albums. Yeah. Um, what you just heard for Jasmine was recorded in this room on my Logic Pro DAW with um, a propeller head interface. This uh, condenser mic we're using right now is a microphone. Yeah. Um, and it was great because I could do a lot of takes and I'm comfortable. You know, I didn't have to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Guitar parts are thrown on from it, but I could redo that for hours if I wanted to get the perfect one. Yeah, and you don't have the restrictions of the studio. It's like, well, you got like, you know, you're paying for that hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Paying by the hour. And then they got the recording engineer there saying, oh, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> it's more like pressure at that point than getting comfortable with it. Like, oh, God. Yeah. I can feel the wallet draining as I'm yeah. playing. Draining <laughs> your wallet. Like, does You're he like, want me to do it again because he wants the money? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah shit. I mean, we're we're in the studio right now recording some new new stuff that's after this album even, but I have a, a keys solo, a little organ solo, and shit, I'm sweating. I'm like, oh my god, Jesus. <laughs> like, whoa! Trev came out and he's hitting the organ like Leslie. Rotary, the rotary yeah, yeah. for me, jeez. Um, but, uh, yeah, on album two, we, so we went into the studio and we had four days until quarantine hit. So it was like, we got in, we did the basic tracking, we were getting ready to do the vocals and everything. And then it was like, oh, just kidding. The whole world is on lockdown. And we're like, oh, okay. Well, at least you got it done. That's cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, 
most of my keys were overdubbed because we were actually waiting on my Nord to come in. I play a Nord Stage 3 HP76. Nice board. Nice, nice board. Thank you. Yeah, I love <laughs> my little baby. Um, but uh, I ordered it uh, on Reverb, and it's coming from Czechoslovakia. And oh. because of COVID, <laughs> yeah, you know, it took a while for it to come. It took yeah. it took a hot minute, and so um, yeah, because I wanted those those other sounds and things, we ended up overdubbing my keys. But um, it it all worked out. I mean, once we once quarantine hit, we did everything remotely. So Trev was recording vocals, like you said, in this room. A couple of the songs were recorded in my room. I set up like a little makeshift soundproof, like you know, yeah, dampening sound closet shit in my closet, closet. No, literally in the closet. Yeah, <laughs> like Brock, Brock Hampton in the closet. Yeah, yeah. yeah Brock Hampton stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they're like, yeah, go in the closet, put a hood over your. Yeah, exactly. You know that? Yeah, that's that's real. That's what I was doing. So, well, a lot of people were doing it, and it, you know, the studios would tell you, "Oh, you can't do it," right? But but there's a lot of records that are being done, and they're doing well. <laughs> yeah, no, you can you can definitely do it. I'm, I mean, people have proven it over and over again that it's possible. The majority of this album was recorded in Colin's garage with two uh, like painter size like A shaped ladders <laughs> and a blanket. <laughs> And we're just singing to our producer, who's um, I think on a computer, Zoom calling or yeah, <laughs> Zoom calling in, <laughs> yeah. controlling the dog from inside that computer from his home. So every, that was awesome. Every every thirty minutes, we'd have to refresh so he could gain control of the mouse again. Yeah, he had to keep yeah. getting control of the mouse in, in yeah. session sessions. So. It was a trip, man. It was quack. <laughs> like I, I mean, it was an incredible experience. I would do it over again ten times. If I yeah, had to. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the things I've been doing, I've been working with bands from all, like you know cross collaboration. I mean, I'm actually you know, I work with bands like you know Iceland, New oh. Zealand, uh, nice. you know Australia, and um, it's crazy because you got to do a Skype, yeah, and then they send you a file. And then you go on to Skype and you listen to it and you say, hey, no, no, change this, change that. And you go back and like, okay, and then send it back over. And it's like, you know, it, it, you're doing it through a meeting. But you, if you've got the vibe, if you like what you, you know, if you found something that made you want to work with a person, right? Then yeah. it's like, it works because you're like, you get passionate about it. And even though you can't be in the same room, you yeah. can still get a lot done. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, through quarantine, I, I was... Um collabing with different artists on Instagram and stuff. Our good friend, Julian White, he lives in New York. He and I did some stuff together. Same thing, we'd be on Zoom. I'm like recording it and then sending him the files and things like that. Like the latency is crazy, but it is definitely possible, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it would be cool if somebody would build, I and mean, I heard there are people gonna, you know, would build a DAW that actually has real-time video capabilities without oh, the lag. That's awesome. I mean, that's, Probably the future, man. That's, that's my next step. Yeah. I really think that that's, you know, I've been pushing that for like the last two years because like in 2017, I was doing this collab with this with this um, actress in, in, in Los Angeles. And, you know, she was in FL Studio and I was doing everything analog. And so, sure. like, yeah. so she would send me her FL Studio stuff, but then she would like, oh, like every time I render my stuff, it's not what I want. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. then they're like, well, send it to me and I'll throw it through the analog stuff. And, it, and it, it got closer to what she wanted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah it's like, so I, like, I found a way to help. Um, but um, yeah, it's just interesting, like how people, musicians, we, we, we keep on going, even though there's this whole crisis. And some people are like, well, how can you, how can you still work? It's like, well, because I think, and I'll ask you guys, like when I do music, I do it because I love it, yeah. not because I'm trying to make money. If I ever make money, that's cool. But but a lot of times, what I what I do is like I just want to get into it. Like I said, I'll show up at a gig and I don't care if I get paid because I just want to play with a guy. But, <laughs> yeah. Because I I just like to play. So yeah. and eventually, I money comes because I don't worry about it. It just happens. But um, it just seems like a lot of us do it because we're passionate about what we do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things with this album is that despite all the obstacles that happened, the main thing is that we all knew how we wanted these songs to sound. And, you know, by the time we go in to record, we're pretty well rehearsed and we're always open to, you know, happy accidents that might happen in the recording process and all that's good. But, you know, I think despite whatever obstacles we had to do because of quarantine, we, we, we had our goal in mind of how we wanted this record to sound. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think happy accidents, that's a big thing for me because I think a lot of times, like I, I was, I was funny. Um, I was working with this producer in Holland and he came to me and like, I, I, I tell everybody, I don't use a dog, right? I don't use it. Right. So, yeah. Right. So, and if you listen to my stuff, I'm kind of like, well, I'm very analog and very experimental. So like coming into it and he's like, Oh, you put my stuff, put your stuff in a dog. And it's like, it's not hitting the BPM. I said, like, what? And I'm like, well, you know what? Like I play live. So if you play with me, you kind of got to play live too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you can't like try to put my stuff on the grid because my modes and stuff might be a little off. Yeah. Because that's what they are. (laughs) And and if you want to sink in with me, you kind of got to take your bass and play live with it. Yeah. Not put it on the grid because it might not work. And it it definitely won't work. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's just like it's like, so. It seems like to me, it's like this this whole idea of the happy accident. You know, when you're dealing with a computer, it was like, well, that you shouldn't do that because your BPM's off and your keys off. And it's like, well, maybe like if you told Keith Richards that, you would never have Keith Richards. No, no, you know, because he's yeah. off all the time. I mean, because that that's the nature of the way he plays. But that's the that's the that's the brilliance of how he plays. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like this sloppy thing, but not sloppy, but you, it's not going to track right in the computer it's just not going to do it because that's not how he plays he plays more like a jazz guy (laughs) yeah i know it's like because i was thinking there it's like you know you put try putting like the classic band records on on the grid it won't work it wouldn't work at all you know no it won't the chemistry (laughs) they had playing together it pushes and pulls but it feels great and if you tried to put leave on on the on the on the grid that'd be it yeah it totally wouldn't work Yeah, because yeah. no. <laughs> he's like doing the vocals and doing the drum, and he found yeah. a way to fit it in, but it's not going to be exactly on the beat. It's a little yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's kind of cool that it's off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing if you go listen to like the replacements or the Who's to Do or like Joy Division, and you listen to early Joy Divisions, like it's a little off, a little happy accident because that's the, the beauty in it. Yeah. You know? That, that's you know, and anything that kind of tra- tells you that you shouldn't do that, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about uh, the song "Miss You" by the Rolling Stones, and in the sax section. Oh yeah, one of my favorite drumming sax moments. He, doesn't he? Yeah, full on miss a snare hit. I think. Yeah, like, I think he did. Yeah, because he, the whole song, Charlie Watts on drums is just laying it down like a four, uh, you know four on the floor, just backbeat kind of groove. And then during the sax solo, the sax, you know, it's like a, a run. Yeah. 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 This is the second, the beat on, on two. And it just is the greatest thing ever. So Such yeah. Some of those mistakes <laughs> are it sounds so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. The happy accents actually yeah. make the character in a lot of classic seventies and sixties albums. Yeah. Like yeah. if you go back and listen to the doors, Oh, yeah. You listen to the Who, you listen to Zep, you listen to Pink Floyd, you you you, you can find them. I mean, I was oh, listening, to Todd, yeah. listening to Todd Rundgren, you know, and and he has them. And he actually even documented on one of his records, like his er- his errors. Oh wow! And, and he said, you know, but but he like he left them in because they made the song. You know, he's a big <laughs> producer. So he's like, like I left these in because like they actually make the song. Yeah. Because yeah. on Hello, it's me. There's a bunch of mistakes. Oh. And, and there's timing mistakes. There's 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 like cuts that aren't clean. Mm-hmm. If you really listen, they're like not clean. They yeah. they they like today people wouldn't accept it. Um, yeah. but but it that song's a classic song. Yeah. you know, and it's got errors in it. <laughs> so I, I tell people it's like if that song's got errors, then maybe you ought to look at what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's the same with audio bleed because uh, the the real life factor of a band performing, you're going to get like the bleed of, uh, I don't know, like a snare roll in or a snare rattle from the sound of like a low bass. Mm -hmm. Um, But it proves that this stuff wasn't recorded separately. It was really initially with the foundation. Oh yeah. That reminds me because the song that actually didn't make it on the record, um, we, we played it, you know, live in the room and there was a part where the bass note got hit and the snare rattled, you know, you heard the buzz yeah. of the snare drum. <laughs> and then I think, I think the pre- Paul was like, oh, we'll take that on. I'm like, no, you got to keep that in, yeah. man. You got to keep that there. Makes that yeah. Happen. Yeah. 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 Cause it's the character, like people like, you know, 
that's that's a lot of what it's endearing about certain pieces of music and we're kind of at near the end of the episode because we kind of go off and we talk and talk <laughs> but um we tend to go like an hour because some of our distributors can't go more than that oh, sure. um, but but yeah we just love to have you on again um yeah. you said you're working on a second album already uh no that'd be third but yeah with, with this with second totally in our sights right now we're mm -hmm. uh we're kids just trying to push it as much as we can, right? Now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, so anytime you guys want to come on and push the next project, right? On. Or like, we'll push any, you know, a single or a video. Sure. We're cool for that. We like to do that. We like to help bands out. And um, like we said, we're inviting you to the Peg Bedroom Producer Festival um, version two when we get it kicked off, either in November or December. Cool. And um, yeah, we'll be pushing this out. Well, this is already out. Yeah, right. Yeah. But we'll be pushing like the audio version of the podcast and you'll get you'll know when we're live with that. It takes a little bit. But sure. we should be live on Spotify later tonight within an hour. Oh, sweet. sweet. All right. Sounds good. Cool. Okay. Thank you very much, you guys. No, yeah, thank sure. you, man. This yeah, is so fun. Yes. Yeah. Well, tell tell your other bands about it. If you have other friends who are in bands, we love getting guests. Uh, we like building up this whole community of musicians around the world. And, you know, it just because I do electronic music, I try to tell people, like, that doesn't mean that everybody on here is going to be like an EDM electronic guy. I, I, interview, I interview punk rockers. I interview people from Nashville. I interview a bunch of classical musicians from Italy. Um, I, I, I just like, if I, I like the music, I like multiple things. I would listen to opera. I would listen to country. Oh, yeah. Music. I listen, oh, to punk, yeah. I listen to everything so i'm like a you know radio dj listens to everything <laughs> that's nice cool so, anyway, so. i feel like that guys. hour man we barely scratched the surface it's like man oh, we yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it again we'll do it again all right man thank you so much thank you bye, bye. 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 bye.